What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we are bringing you a special bonus episode of the podcast with one of our favorite writers of all time talking about one of our favorite current books. Ladies and gentlemen, Kieran Gillen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ooh. I almost saluted. And of course, the salute is no use in a podcast. So <laughs> you, you just hear the, the respect of the yeah. finger to forehead. We exactly. appreciate the gesture. Yeah. We fully in some stuff afterwards. So we would have added like a whoosh or something. <laughs> Whip crack. Yes. Uh, so very excited to chat about Once in Future. We have talked about every issue of the book. Um, I know Pete is going to have a million questions about one character in particular, but before we get to it, just hold it in for a second, Pete. Um, the big thing that we've discussed about it, and we're fans of all your work, this feels very different in a good way. It feels almost like the big budget Hollywood over the top action, still working in those story elements and those mythic elements that you like to hit. But uh, I'm curious to hear from you. What was, what was the initial germ? What was the Genesis? What were you trying to do differently as a writer with this book? It's always interesting because like, like most things, I just sort of see the multiple origins of it. I guess it's like, like, and I've said, I've said this before in interviews, but like the core idea I've had for like, must be like at least of the mid noughties because I just had the idea of like how can you do a sort of Indiana Jonesy mummy esque story and sort of bleed the colonialism from it, and the idea is well oh you just do it like because immediately it was like well so if you it's a bit weird just going back and shooting the founding people of a the founding rulers of another people <laughs> it's just something increasingly odd about that and I thought I know what you do it you do it in the UK you do it with King Arthur and you that you'd have everything you love I love about that genre but like you can have it in a different sort of conversation. And of course, as soon as I have that idea, it becomes, oh, this is about the, the matter of Britain. This is about, like, what on earth is this stupid country of mine? Uh, <laughs> uh, so, like, all that was sort of sitting there. And it and the idea came up because, um, I mean, boom, just to be honest, mailed me and said, um, um, Dan would be interested in working with you. Like, have you got any interest wow. to do, like, a, you know, a book with him? Um, and it's just involved me, okay, what am I interested in doing? Uh and I saw, you know, like most people have got a load of stuff in the files. And I hit this, um, actually, this makes sense. Because it's Dan interested in doing an action horror book. Because it's also like, the thing about comics is, it's a little bit between having a leading actor or a little bit like a musician. And that kind of, or a singer is a better way of putting it. So mm. like, let's say I found myself having to work with a Bjork. You know, if I, mm-hmm. if I okay, I'm going to work with Bjork. i would be looking through my material to think, okay, what would work with Bjork? And the same with, you know, with Dan is Dan is just like, um, he is one of the greatest action storytellers. And of course, every issue is better and better as well. I mean, it's oh, weird. Yeah. everyone always says this, but in this case, it's like, with Dan, I just feel like um, I'm watching a, a talent who's always the astounding blossom with, like, with every single page. Um, so it's like, okay, he's a, he's a completely full-on monstrous action storyteller. He does really charismatic characters. Like all my people who found, all my friends who fancy men, let's say all, all of them say that Dan does the best beefcake. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I need attractive men. You know, there's definitely that kind of, and then I was like, okay, yeah. also Dan, then of course I just asked him, Dan, what have you, what are you interested in doing you haven't done? And that of course was hot and that was actually horror. So it's like, okay, great. So that's the tone of the book sort of struck. Actually, I want, you know, Dan is a great full on action storyteller. Let's do a full on action storyteller book. And first, like the first time you can see me sort of, um, step back from my vertigo-ness occasionally. You know what I mean? Like there's some storytelling choices I, where, which, Work fine because you know Dan can do anything. But I was aware that I want by leaning into his his instincts and powers, you get better results than leaning against them. Um, so that's the aesthetics of it and the why. 
And I must admit, like, when the idea sort of came back in my files when I was looking at Dan, it was, oh, right, yeah, this is a, this is a story that would have worked at any point in the last 1,500 years in Britain because the nature is the question <laughs> of, like, you know what I mean? The question of what is Britain anyway has always been there. But with the, the Brexitiness of it all, it becomes a little bit even more pointed. <laughs> so, um, yeah, does that answer the question? It might answer several yeah. questions. Yeah, I have a follow-up, but... It- when you, in a book like Die, say, it feels like it's about expanding the universe. Every issue, it's like, well, did you know about this place and all the aesthetics, aesthetics of that? But with, with Once in Future, it feels like it's getting sharper and more focused on uh, – it's like moving in two different directions between yeah. those two books. Is that is that an intentional choice uh, when you're putting them together? There's only, like, I am, there's only a limited amount of work in the world you can do. There's also that. <laughs> so I'm, I, was aware, it's like, I, remember, I was doing um, – I think two books I was doing at once. It's like I could not have done four books like Phonogram a month. This is always the thing. Like, even if I had the energy, it's like emotionally I haven't got it. So I, when I'm doing my books, I'm sort of trying to create like um, a stable of books in this oh, kind of like, funny. okay, this scratches this, this scratches that. And where Once the Future is different is the first time, it's the first time I can think of where I've tried to do what I tend to do in my work for higher books, but owning it. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then, like, once, in some ways, once the future is closer to my Marvel work than it is to, say, Die. Uh, in the, you know, yes, it's quite a lot of research into Once the Future, but it's not like as much as Die. You know, Die's like at least 50. I've lost count of the number of books I've read to, re- to write Die. I'm not even including RPG source books in there. Yeah. Once the oh. future is a much smaller body. I mean, I say it's still significant, but it's not the level of, okay, this panel is referencing this one thing. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, I'm scratching yeah. that. So yeah, it was definitely that in that period I wasn't doing any work for hire, you know, like for Marvel or anyone else. So the idea of okay, let's do something that's actually fun. And that's yeah, the thing. Like, I'm of guilty. It wasn't nah. like, especially especially when it won the when it got the got the Eisner nomination. It's like being nominated for an Eisner for something fun. That's not fair. I should yeah. be. <laughs> <laughs> um, sp- speaking of fun, uh, my favorite character is the grandma. You have helped create one of the top grandmas of all time like, <laughs> as a little kid this is kind of how i saw my grandma like she was this magical w- woman who could do anything and it was like just like another day to her uh can you talk a little bit about this character it's like this is actually the flip because obviously i mentioned earlier the core idea was okay arthur as mummy villain and the one thing that idea doesn't include is who is the adventurous and i didn't just want to make a you know, throw in a standard adventure, that doesn't necessarily interest me. So it's okay. What emotional relationships do I not see in that kind of fiction very much? And also <laughs> what emotion, you know, and also what emotional relationships in my own life have I not written? Mm. So like, yeah. and I immediately went to my gran in that, as you said, it's like, um, or like, um, the, uh, my gran lived around the corner from me was the gran I saw most of. Um, and she was, and I found that dynamic between Duncan and, uh, Bridget is a little bit like, me and trust i'm not as i'm not as goofy <laughs> as duncan and she's not as hard ass as bridget but you know she came over from ireland when she was 14 she was like uh she's working she was arrested as a terror as a suspected terrorist and all that kind of stuff Whoa. you know and, um, and, and you know and i'm the i think the first kid in my extended like irish catholic family to go to university you know so that kind of class like despite both being working class that kind of like where we came from in different parts of our lives I thought, sure. okay, that's interesting. I have not put that in a character yet. And especially because, uh, you know, the stuff families don't talk about is also interesting. You know, so the second I had that, okay, grandmother, grandson, you don't see enough of that. You don't see enough about grandparent, grandchild. In fact, 
I, you want to see grandmother, granddaughter, but you know that kind of cross generational, but also cross gender. Yeah, like, that seemed like okay. There's something there, you know. Um, especially because like, Duncan is in many ways the damsel for at least for a lot. Yeah. Of <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that makes me ask, is there like a second cousin, uh, great uncle story you're working on? Are you thinking uh, <laughs> up the dynamics? It's like, honestly, like, it's a bit like, you, you just think about like, what haven't you seen? And there's a bit like, for me, it's always like, what's interesting, especially because I'm somebody who always tries to ground relationships, at least distantly and stuff from my own life. You know, that kind of like, this reminds me of this, but then you twist it. I always remember like when I was learning to write comics, it's like Mark Wade, um, talking about like obviously i've never fought dr doom but i knew but i know what it's like to stand up to a bully in a playground you know and that mm-hmm. uh, that was a line that always sort of stuck with me because it's that kind of stuff is the way you translate stuff because it, it's never one for one but you can find a, a tiny core of that emotion and bring it to the work and that's kind of the extended the, the, the duncan i mean like my mum actually spoilers to want the future but the um my family is nowhere, not like that family, and I am not being trained as a monster hunter. <laughs> wow, we'll see. Uh, well, it's interesting to hear you talk about Duncan as a damsel, because you do have that first arc, which, like you were touching on, is very much the training arc, where he's learning with his grandmother, He's we're setting up the world, like Justin was talking about, with King Arthur and Camelot and other members of the court. Is the second arc, for those who haven't read it, but it's starting to get into Beowulf and Grendel and other aspects of uh, British myths, I, I guess you could put it that way. Uh, is it more difficult when you have the character has already technically been trained and you're heading into that second arc, or does that free you up in a certain way? Well, I think, I think once in future, I'm, I'm very fond of the first arc, but in terms of um, it's a little bit tightly compressed for me as in it mm. is in some ways I've become what once the future's become more fluid to write after we've done the setter. Cause it's like, this is, I must say I've got once the future sort of plans for like issue 30, you know, and then I've got a, a few ideas where it could go from there. But at the same time, it's not like die or wake in that both of those stories always had an end or Uber. In fact, most of my work has the hard ending. Right. And that's oh. when those characters are done. We do not write them anymore. I mean, Die's a little bit different because I've got ideas for sequels to Die, but at the same time, that story is a closed block. What's the future is like um, what um, the game designer and writer Robin D. Laws describes as iconic characters. There's, he's got the, the idea that the dramatic characters and dramatic characters are about like um, Hamlet or Macbeth. They are characters who tell a story, have an arc and end. Mm-hmm. And I've tended to write dramatic characters even when I'm writing the other side, which are iconic characters. Iconic characters like Sherlock Holmes or Batman. As in, we don't come in to really see them change. We come to see them do their thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, as a Batman adventure is a chance for Batman to express the core Batman-ness. Uh, yeah. And in cases like uh, Bridget and Duncan, I think they are they are closer to iconic characters than dramatic characters. Like, I've got a really, you know, the dramatic arc is something I really like. But, like, abstractly, you can plug those characters into adventures indefinitely. In, like, um, I mean, the Hellboil. That's a, there's a yeah. lot of Hellboy DNA in Once the Future. It so, feels very um, much that that thing of uh, characters being like, "Oh, here we go again," and there's yeah. just another <laughs> thing to reload the mechanism uh, yeah. with these guys. I mean, exactly. I mean, like you could. I mean, it's very out of fashion at the moment, but you could do absolutely monster futures and monster of the week TV show, that kind of thing. Yeah. If you, yeah. Like, and of course, that's not how I write it. And immediately, you've got this. I just say it's not as big as Die, which is perpetually getting bigger, but like, it's a significant universe. And like, we've sort of um, there's a wonderful bit that Dan does in. Um, issue 13 where we basically do three panels and each one is an adventure you haven't seen so like you know you get that kind of like okay here's the bit they did this 
you're not going to see it except for this panel, which I love. You know, what I mean, like I love doing that to make the universe bigger, but only in that way that making the shadows more interesting. Like you know, there's always more stuff going on, but despite, but you know, we're focusing on this bit. Well, I'm I'm glad you worded it that way because I was worried you're going to be like I like messing with you, the reader, being like, ha ha, you don't know about this. <laughs> well, there's, actually, there's a lot of big. I mean, like, what's the future? Like the fact we did the big twist in you know, there's a variety of twists in the first arc. There's certainly stuff which you don't know. Mm-hmm. Like it's the kind of like, I like I was saying this online recently. I was discussing one of the problems of mysteries in comics is. In fact, mysteries full stop in all media is you have to remind the reader that you not knowing something isn't a plot hole. But it's, as I know, like, deliberately, the fact that, for example, we haven't said uh, there's Galahad. Uh, Galahad, requ- that implies there's a Lancelot. Because, Lan- so um, now Namu, then um, uh, Elaine would have had to have sex with a Lancelot to begat a Galahad. So who's the Lancelot? And we haven't mentioned that for like a long time, but like I haven't, I've got to remind people that exists to make sure they remember that's still a mystery. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like, there's definitely stuff to reveal. And there's some really fun, hopefully satisfying bits. Because I said, you know, the structure going towards issue 30, but it's, um, it is less the crazy guy you know, with a load of lines on the wall as well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, there's. Uh, I think you touched on this a little bit already, but uh, there's something very different about the mythology of Camelot versus Beowulf and Grendel, just because Beowulf and Grendel is so much more compact. Um, again, was that sort of freeing in the second arc to be like, great, I just need to write these two monstrous characters, have these big action sequences, and then I can get back to that more complex Camelot mythology? Yeah. I think it's interesting. Like, what I think the Beowulf, despite being really compressed, like you mm-hmm. say, Beowulf is a text. You know, it's a book, um, as opposed to Arthur, which is a sprawling mythos. And of course, what that, what throwing Beowulf is, it does, it both widens the story in terms of like, oh yeah, okay, we mentioned vampires in the first issue. We've mentioned a couple of other things, but here's something a bit more significant. And what does that imply? As in, who else could they be fighting? As in, mm-hmm. if Beowulf's out there, who else is out there? But also the idea of like, how do Arthur and Beowulf differ? And of course, as you've said, um, well, I've just said as well, there's only one Beowulf story. That we, you know, and I, and of course in our universe, okay, what does that mean? Where does that go? So as, as well as being able to throw, um, you know, Grendel and Beowulf at uh, them, we also get the kind of like, okay, so how? Why is there only one Beowulf story? And that's mm. like obviously only few tens come out, and that's sort of inching closer to explanation. But like just by reducing it, it also expands it at the same time in a way that um, I hope people find compelling because it's um, you just. I'm aware I have a tendency of a writer for things to explode indefinitely because I quite <laughs> like, you know, like making stuff up is fun. Um, and it, it always has a structure, but the structure can occasionally become overwhelming. Uh, and like, once the future just feel more like the pop song. I mean, I sort of said mm-hmm. this when I was doing once the future, like, yeah, well, actually the first question, one of the ideas was, okay, let's just go, let's assume that I've already made the argument that Wickdiff meant said, as a Wiccan divine basically said something about stories and the nature of stories and how they deceive us. Um, let's assume that from the first issue that everyone knows this. And so once the future is a, story, is a universe where stories are just bad. As it's 100% parasites who want to kill us. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and that, you know, and that's like, and that, you know, having that up front allows me to be a bit more clearer about it. Like all stories are bad. Every single one you meet is going to try to kill you in this universe. <laughs> You know, and that's quite, and it's quite compelling because it means that 
because I see often say fancy. Does this mean that like Morgana is going to be good? It's like no, she's also bad. She's a story. <laughs> <laughs> They're all bad. <laughs> it's interesting to hear you say that, and I, I I'm definitely on your side here. But we've had this argument on almost every issue. And Pete, I'm not gonna I'm gonna throw you under the bus here, but I feel like you're the one that's argued like, well, maybe King Arthur isn't that bad. Is is there any point here in that you're like, mm, I kind of agree with his argument, whatever that is. I think, like, especially now we've got Merlin in, you know, you, the the tragedy, the implicit tragedy of almost any panel when Merlin and Arthur are in, like Merlin's clearly knows more than Arthur does, and Merlin's heartbroken over it, despite the fact they're clearly mm. villains. Um, that's like you're know, talking about mysteries. It's like okay, something's going on there, and clearly I'm going to tell you about it eventually. So like, I, there's something just because I think stories want to kill you. I don't think individual stories are bad. In the, I'm especially it's worth stressing. This is just once in future. I said it's very clearly. <laughs> I, I, that's the game, you know. Um, my wife, in the last year, couple of years, my wife going to improv, and of course, improv people talk about the concept of game. The idea oh, that the game. Here we is, go. This is our. This is our language. Yeah. This is our lane right here. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, in the case of like uh, once in future, the game is stories are evil, and we're going to play with that game. And of course, like. I don't believe in stories that die. Like, a, I don't believe stories are evil. So my story isn't going to say that eventually, <laughs> completely. Um, but the push and pull between it is where it's interesting. As in but I think, sorry, I think uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I think that's so interesting because it's like stories are evil, but you can't kill them. They have to play out or they have to finish and you have to find a way to complete it where it doesn't kill you. Mm. Uh, and in this case, stories make you powerful, you know, like, yeah. um, there's a, there's a bit in issue 13. This is very minor spoilers, but it's like Duncan gets beaten up by people who aren't, and it's like, yeah, yeah, he's good at fighting stories. That's what the story actually yeah. do. <laughs> so at this point, this is open ended, is what you're saying. You're not, you don't have a plan for like 30 issues, 50 issues. Potentially, it could go on forever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's very like, exciting. Like, when I said the iconic, like, and iconic characters, these are the pretty much the first characters I've invented, which I, you know, own. I can imagine if it's someone else writing. Mm, it's wow. like, in the same way, you know, someone else wrote, I could imagine passing on the book to somebody else to write. Because, as I said, they're, they're robust enough characters you can plug into mysteries and have fun with. I could imagine that happening. Not that I have any plans for that, but, you know, it is something that I could see. How, you know, pop, I say that, it's like, I would love to just, like, do a mini of, like, people doing one-off uh, Bridget and Duncan stories and, you know, get Becky Clune on to do an issue and just, you know, yeah. uh, tear it up. Well, there's a certain sense of when you do something like that, it actually does extend the life of the book, the franchise, versus Mm -hmm. uh, certainly it's uh, it's preferable to have one or two voices, including Dan Mora, in that to focus it. But when you do something like that, it starts to, in the reader's mind, I think, feel a little bigger and take on a life of its own. Something I say about my Marvel, when I do work for hire for like Marvel or whoever. The characters I've introduced to a world do not feel real in the Marvel Universe way until someone else has written them. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Until then, mm. it feels like I'm cheating. <laughs> you know? like, and it, almost all my characters, when they, like Afra or um, even like really very small, like very minor characters, the second they've been written by someone else, they, they feel part of the Marvel firmament. So I completely get that. I mean, I say this, I have no plans to pass it on. I'm just uh, very aware that it could happen in an mm. abstract sense. Yeah, uh, and it's funny. It's like I said, I've got strong plans up to thirty, and then it's like I've got other big bad sort of areas I would like to touch in mythology, you know. And that's the question: How long does that go for? If I wanted to, or like, do you stop and then come back? And mm. you know, mm. 
I mean, it's, it's unusual for me because all my stuff is like I came to comics because I like stuff with set endings. Like the stuff I got into comics through is the stuff that ends. And in some ways, even like as a business thing, comics, the idea that comics have to be an ending is not something I necessarily like. I think mm. comics would probably be healthier if we turned over the franchises involved in it more often. But at the same time, I can't deny there's something really fun about them as well. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I mean, on that note, before we let you go, and we'll come back to what's in future for a second, uh, I'd be remiss not to ask about Eternals. You are going back to Marvel. You are doing that. That's the opposite of a finite story right there in the yeah. title. Uh, what what drew you to that? What uh, What is your take on Eternals? It's one of those things like um, I've had a few years off working for the, I mean, literally, it's going to be five years, almost the like the month since I stopped working for the Marvel universe when I come back, like also I did a load of star Wars work, but I had, um, exhausted my thought processes, I think. Uh, and like I was burnt out and I wanted a gap and I did a, a mini last year, uh, with Casper, uh, Wingard, uh, the Peter Cannon mini, which was me sort of dabbling about whether I've got anything else to say about superheroes. So, um, they approached me and said, are you interested in Eternals? Um, I'm immediately was sort of sitting back and thinking about that in terms of like, actually, <laughs> there's a, like, this is one of the things which like, especially talking to um, like when I'm, like anyone's listening, who's like a hardcore superhero fan, they're quite surprised by people thinking like this, but I explicitly do not think about a character until I'm asked to have you any ideas to them because I, me thinking about something I cannot write is like a, it's almost like it's just a, a waste of my energies in terms of like my thought patterns and you can't help it obviously i do it all the time but at the same time mm. i don't so immediately sit back and it was like okay have i any ideas about eternals and like especially to think about like what i want to do i mean like as a concept and of course this normally was i go back and read a bunch so like you know i go back and read the original kirby eternals i read uh, i sort of trace through the path of them through the marvel universe uh, specifically you look at the more recent stuff like uh, john romita and uh, gaiman's arc um and just think about what are Eternals and what is interesting about eternals and also what are the problems of eternals as in why you know where how can they have a home because this is one of the things me and jamie talk about um when we talk about our own books we talk about this quite regularly is the um like you can't introduce a character into the DC universe who is the the paragon of all that's good and everybody loves them and the most powerful person because that job is taken. We <laughs> 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 it's like the baby, we use the baby boomer metaphor. Like most jobs are taken and they're never going to retire. <laughs> <laughs> so like if you're interested in DC, you're looking for like ecosystems and places where a new character can live, and they do a task that no one else is presently doing. And in internal, in the question of Eternals, it's like, okay, let's do that job. Like, what job can Eternals do, which no one else is doing, which is different in other ways? And in terms of, like, what what attracts me to that? It's always the, um, I'm going to put a little, little hat over here for a second, and think on the personal level is always something I haven't done before. Like, I've done a lot of work for hire, but, like, something I've not done before. And something I haven't done before is take a book, reinvent it from the ground up, Give it, uh, take you know, take this classic, renovate it, and then let it go. And also, this, you know, and then it ties into like a movie as well. That's also interesting. The idea of this is a big, clean, standalone book to try to explain to everyone why you should be into this. Hmm. And that's something I said. I've you know, I did, I've done even like Darth Vader is the um, it was the sister book to a bigger book. So I've done a lot of being supporting actor, but I've done very few bits where I've got to 
completely and utterly renovate something. So that's appealing. Yeah. Uh, and especially with Eternals, some, Eternals is something which has it has so much good stuff in it, but it's never been as big as other books. And trying to work out why it hasn't, and trying to do small, respectful tweaks that kind of drill into why anyone cares about this is 100% like it. So that was the kind of thing. So I've done this. It's not the full Hickman, is that why? Because that's <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the great new comic book. Honestly, like, I was, Hick- me and Jonathan, I mean, Jonathan's a guy who came in at the same time as me. So I quite often think about my work being in conversation with his. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, I feel that way about like me and Fraction are similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Kelly Sue and um, actually Rick as well to some degree. Um, and so Eternals is, for me, it feels like the first post uh, House of X, book, sorry, uh, Powers of X book. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. And that, um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like it's definitely more because it's not going to spin out to a million other books. But the idea of okay, we're going to give you a sorry, by page four and the, the spread on page four and five, we realize oh, this is a significant amount of thought have gone into this book. Like you said earlier about my mythologies tend to sprawl out. It's like oh yeah, it's all going to be there on that page. <laughs> you realize oh my god, Kieran's D and D campaign has come to kill me. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, I, I yeah. just want. I just want to say I'm I'm very excited uh, to read that. Just talking with you has made me even more excited, which I didn't know I could do. Uh, but I wanted to bring it back to Once in Future or for a moment and just say <laughs> that, like, um, it has been uh, such an honor and, uh, and so much fun to read and to see you having so much fun with it. But as, like, the fan a little bit, what for you was the most fun part of working on this book? Like, uh, seeing some of the designs, just where the things came together. What for you was like your favorite part of it so far? I, it's, it's the uh, the jamming of it. It's like kind of, I said, the op- it's almost the opposite of something like Die or even Eternals. Is in the, um, I mean, that's all about the graphs and the elegance and the. And the <laughs> this is like the jamming in terms of mm-hmm. like, okay, I've got an action sequence. I've got twelve pages for this action sequence, which is a long. What I'm going to give. Dan, enough space yeah. to tear it apart. Let's do a full on action. Okay, how and putting problems to the car. Okay, we're gonna have Beowulf on top of this car. I don't know how they're gonna get Beowulf off that car. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like it's the, like I've left spaces to play, and the same way, like, and it's response to Dan. I see the art, and it's very um, comics with capital L comics rather than literature. Like, I'm always writing with a, a literary mindset, but like the fact that I am creating spaces where that we we can all have fun. In this kind of like, if I see um, something Dan or Tamra has done, I can, I'll respond to it. And yeah, I just so much of my favorite stuff is just because they are such delightful characters. I mean, so like, when I made, I thought, okay, maybe I'll write my grab, or like someone inspired by my grab. Um, and I had that line in issue one is, um, you know, the, you used to hunt vampires. Yeah. What happened? I ran out of vampires. I just wrote, <laughs> I wrote down that literally, like that was the first thing I wrote for the character. And I immediately I saw it in bigger circle around it in terms of that's the character. That's and like yes. Bridget is such a strong voice, you can get to like you just put her in a situation, she'll say something. And that's the kind of that's that's what you I mean, all my favorite characters to write are people who have things to say. Like Bridget she both the stuff I agree with Bridget on and the stuff I disagree on and that's the fun of it like the, the stuff I would never <laughs> yeah. say because she goes too far and there's also like the stuff I would never say because she's wrong and the stuff I would always want to say but I can never be that cool uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, like, on the writing side that is the you know there's it's ne- but also the other side the fact that it's a bit freer is I can write the character responses really honestly and this is always the delight when um, you just look at the situation and realise 
oh, they would do that. And then you write the scene. And you and since you've kept it a bit looser, you can write it. Like there's a there's a scene in this I, I can't I'm writing I've just handed it issue fifteen. You know the characters and the bit where you go, Oh right, of course they would do that. And you've got to work out how to stop it. Or like the interaction. That's and the fact that it feels slightly um the delightful of improvisational out of control. I've said earlier the the game of it. I think it's it's a game yeah. for me as well. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting to hear you talk about all this because it feels like, and you measure this as well a little bit, but there's definitely a connection between all these things. It's you reevaluating mythology, whether it's reevaluating UK mythology or over in Turtles. I imagine at least a part of it is reevaluating the mythology of the Marvel Universe because they've been alive the entire time. What is it about that that's appealing to you? I mean, like, I'm pretty obsessed with death. Like, it's one <laughs> things like... Um, it's like change and like change is very important to me. And like that was actually one of thematically, that was the thing I immediately got with the Eternals. Eternals does not mean um living forever. Eternal means unchanging. Yeah. And that yeah, and there's something like as somebody who leans existentialist by philosophy, like the concept of like being capable of change petrifies me. Imagine like <laughs> are we all are we all now what we're gonna be forever? As in, in other words, is there no redemption? Is there like is then is there no possibility? So is the world just doomed? <laughs> you know, because if it's impossible, to, if change is genuinely impossible, as it is for the Eternals, mm. so that was the thing about the Eternals. Or the um, you can you can really dig into that existentialist horror, the idea of being forced, and at the same time they're absolute hero figures, but at the same time they are completely con- actually not true. Not all of them are hero figures, as you will very rapidly <laughs> see. Yeah, um, but um, that's real. Like it's funny because. Writing about living, people only live for two years allows you to approach the same sort of themes you do approach when writing about people who live forever. <laughs> like, right. they're in some ways just talking about the same thing. Because if you use a fantasy device to heighten a situation, you um, you bring uh, increased focus and clarity to the actual what you're talking about. As a, the question is, and the question for both those things is, what is the point of life anyway? Like, why are we here? What do we do? And that's... Um, and who are we? Uh, and all those things are really exciting, especially when they we we float back to stories. And stories are and one of the big points of Wikdiv is be really careful about what stories you choose to believe about yourself, especially if they're stories you want to believe because they're the ones you are easy. To, they're the stuff you fall for, you know. <laughs> um, and all the way, and that I mean, there's a lot about Wikdiv about being um, a critical re- reader of the world and just. Be aware of your prejudices. Be you know, be careful. Because belief is um, is a bit like a. I mean, this is course is taking even further into it into what's the future. There's a line, um, Bridget. I think drops in issue fourteen or so, and it's very much like uh, stories like maggots crawling for your brain, <laughs> and then she's you know she goes way way further into that. Um, yeah, so all that stuff ties together for me. So I'm not sure if I answered the question. But I might have tried to answer every question in the world ever simultaneously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're answering all yeah. questions at once. I have one more about. Um, you mentioned Eternals. You feel like you're renovating that. So, what are the? If there was a house, what are the bones of the Eternals that you're like? Oh, this, this, these are the necessary parts, and now I get to change everything else. Like some of it is just reframing it, and it's. I think the big. I mean, there's a couple of things I don't want to talk about yet, just because like. Sure. Yeah. Cool gets then. Like, there's so much stuff. Like, if I talk about any, it's one of these bits where if I talk about any bit of it, I could just the fractal, the spare. You could because I'm deliberately making it bigger than the page. As I'm making mm-hmm. 
it's, it's actually it's a very Morrisonian, sorry, Grant Morrison move. But the, the 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 world is bigger than the frame, as in like you know, there's lots of lots of cool stuff here that we could if we carry on this book, we can eventually get to this stuff maybe. But it's it's nice that it's there. But at the same time, the the core of like what I think is interesting, like the way the way Kirby created it, it was very much riffing on uh, Chariot of the Gods 1970s stuff. The idea that the gods on Earth are actually aliens who have mistaken. And and the, the slight tension with Eternals always has been, A, it wasn't originally in the Marvel Universe. And the problem being, that job of gods on Earth is taken by the gods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but, and it's quite hard to take them as seriously or to make them as important as, a, okay, you know someone who was mistaken for four or you know actual four. You know, and there's there's very really good writers have done like really interesting ways to sort of square that circle in terms of like how gods and god imposters exist at the same time, but it doesn't quite. That's the bit that has trouble gelling in the Marvel universe, and also means that the Eternals kind of take the job of mm. the um, gods, and they just can't take that job because Thor's got that job. Um, so it's like, but if you actually look at the Eternals myth, the Eternals myth is the Celestials arrived on Earth. Created a hundred deviants who are basically devil devils is the better way of putting it, um, and then he created like a hundred Eternals, and then he left, and then the gods left. <laughs> yeah, and and that's and of course the weird thing about that idea is that doesn't make the Eternals gods. You know, like we've yeah. already got the gods because the Celestials are the gods. <laughs> what the, what the Eternals are are angels. Mm, like if you think about like in terms of the role they, they are the guardian angels they are basically the guardian protectors of earth eternally facing off against these deviants like oh they're angels and that's the kind of like that's the emotional place they hang in the world and i kind of there's a line i use in the thing um imagine a species of eternal buffy the vampire slayers like imagine buffy the vampire slayer meets robocop <laughs> one of these things where now you're talking they, they are like they've got programming so they have to follow certain rules mm-hmm. and, or as and they're, they're one of the and their rules play out in lots of different ways and of course how the rules are interpreted is why you get different eternals it's that mm-hmm. kind of like oh i'm really going in too deep now but there's a <laughs> to their base their satan is the best way of putting it like one of the eternals who the mission is to protect the earth the best way to protect the Earth is to kill everything else, everyone on it, and then just yeah. the Eternals will be fine. Like, we don't need these uh, pesky... As a genuinely, genocide is the way forward for the Eternals. And everyone else went, not touching. To be honest, not everyone else. Everyone went, no, let's not do that. And now he's in prison forever in hell. You know, and that... And then various other people have different approaches throughout the centuries. So, but this, the basic concept is these are unchanging, eternally living beings who protect Earth, whatever that means. And that's... The, and anybody who's read the Bible knows angels can really do some messed up stuff if they feel the need to. Um, and that's the niche, I think. Uh, well, that's, that's the core thing. That's in the idea. And of course, the deviants aren't all bad guys either. That's the other thing. Like most of the yeah. deviants are more like, um, I described like deviant city of Lemuria, like um, Fraggle Rock meets hell. Like most, <laughs> <laughs> like most of them are pretty cool people. Just occasionally one of them goes off the deep end. Uh, uh, and that's where the the the, pro- uh, the problem hits. Yeah, I'm excited for the deviants to eat a lot of radishes. Uh, I, <laughs> I only <laughs> delicious. Uh, I only I, I think I know the answer to this one, but I only ask because I'm sure it's going to be top of mind for a lot of people. Uh, what, if any, is the coordination between the Eternals and the movie? Like, should people go in expecting to read Angelina Jolie and Kumail Nanjiani, or is it very much its own two trains running? 
it's always like the comics always their own thing like we, we definitely make it easier to, uh, we want people to cross over <laughs> Fairly, you know that would be rude imagine it, how rude it would be to say no but like um, <laughs> it's always got to be it's like I don't, it's not something I really talk about much but like whilst of course there is synergy between the two the, the line we always get told when we're writing is you're not writing the, the present movie you're writing the movie four, four movies down the road you know what right, I mean? Right. Like you're you're that that's kind of the point of the book setting. This has got to be new and exciting. Whilst accessibility is great, it's not you're not a supplementary uh piece. You're a piece of the future, I guess. Right. Interesting. Uh before we start to wrap up here, uh you've already given us plenty of teases, but what is coming up in once in future that folks can look forward to, particularly as we start to potentially wrap up this Grendel and Beowulf storyline? Well, it's like, well, there's the climax of this. The thing about like the, the second arc, Old English, it's really got that kind of half and half structure. The first half is about Beowulf, and it's the whole and it's the big adventure of London exploration. And the second half, we made it. I've got the idea just doing the um, the slasher movie around the house, except the house is an old people's home, and the uh, the, the woman yeah. is the grandma. And I was just like, let's just really do it, do it straight, do it creepily around the house. We built to the climax, and then as is my, this is my classic, but like. I, whenever I'm doing an ongoing, it's the end of the arc. The end of the arc is we resolve the story and then everything changes. Like we have a significant status quo change. Like the end of last arc was like Merlin's arrival, uh, and that just came out of nowhere. It was got foreshadowed. Well, this is very much like the remaining pieces are thrown up in the air, and like and there's one big final beat, and you realize, oh right, that also changes everything. Which is annoying. I don't even want to say the name of the third arc yet, and I've got it. I'm quite happy with it. Um, but that is mainly back to Arthurian stuff. Um, it is Rose is in, uh, Rose is increasingly important in it. This is kind of like this is what like Rose has been like a, an important like uh, secondary player. But yeah. uh, I wanted I wanted to bring her on stage more, do more about her. Yeah, you know, like um, she's like I, I like her a lot, but like there just hasn't been enough for her yet. Um, so she's really central. It all happens in the, a couple of days before New Year's. Like, so in other words, it's it's quite a it's gone for it's end of the year, so we get the kind of the Holly and the Ivy vibe going on. Um, and we get a little bit more about um, Mary slash Nimu slash uh, Elaine. So we get a bit more about her background as well. Uh, so yeah, basically, there's a lot of those sort of mysteries come back, and there's also the entry into their world of um the the big problem from the end of uh, the arc you know what i mean and it's fun and it's like and the end of that arc is the biggest change in the entire run so far that's the kind of issue 18 into issue 19 would be this um apocalyptic change of status quo it's like there was actually a world where i just i was just going to end the issue 18 <laughs> but now you know I'm, I'm i'm not i'm carrying on but there was a kind of like oh yeah that's an interesting place to end the book Ooh, that's a very good tease. Uh, Kieran, thank you so much for being here. Loving Once in Future. Very excited to read the rest of it. Uh, thanks so much for spending so much time. Thank you. It's been, it's been amazing to be here. Great yeah, to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. And all of you listening out there, a couple of things to plug. You can support this podcast and other podcasts we do at patreon.com slash comic book club. Also do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come hang out. We'll almost definitely be chatting about once in future pretty much every time it comes out. iTunes, yeah, Android, right. Spotify, Stitcher, and the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show. Comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, Comic Book Club out. Whoosh. 
Ha, ha, ha.